This is a hodgepodge of nothingness. Minus three. With Dave Damashek. Hodgepodge of nothingness. Who's he talking about? The Battling Buckos, the Boston Red Sox, one of the professional baseball teams that calls New York City home. Who's to say? Let's see if we can get to the bottom of that and more here on the brand new episode of Minus Three. Welcome to it. Eddie Spaghetti there behind the glass, looking buff in his tank top and joining us as he does at the end of every week to break down what's going down and try and figure out what's coming up in the world of sports. It's Kevin Hench. What's the poop, fella? Welcome back from Hawaii. Oh, thanks, man. I was lucky. I got sick right at the end of vacation which is, mm-hmm. I think, the way you want to do it, right? Unlike uh, my poor uh, Sophie. COVID in London. COVID in London. This is, Man, it's you you don't want to settle in the mainland of the U.S. of A. I get it. Summer, summer cold. But poor Sophie, my 14-year-old, she got sick early in vacation. Ah, hmm. bummer. Are you mapping out? We have much to talk about, but I did see on uh, on Tuesday night uh, a headline that American Airlines, this is something – Coincidentally or otherwise, now a bigwig VP over there in the UK for all things NFL, our old pal, handsome Hank Hodgson. He and I have always talked about, because he obviously makes the the flight across the Atlantic um, quite a bit annually. Um, They now have a supersonic jet. I've always said, wait, when are they going to bring back the Concorde? We just we just upgrade everything. If something if the first iteration doesn't take, let's just keep working on it until we master it. Why do we give up on the Concorde? Um, it sounds like there's a, a version of that half the time. What does this mean, Hedge? One, were you scouting locations for possible pro football teams? And when will we see one? Do you think it now? I really do think this is big news. The Jacksonville Jaguars, nay, the London Jaguars, right? Well, but in, when it comes to air travel, we're going the other direction. It's more like a bus. Like, it's so brutal like they have figured out they can just grind you down. It is the it's full fire festival every time you step on a plane now. It is it is madness how they put you in steerage and could give a shit about your experience. So anything that would make it faster would be way better. But when you have a six and a half hour flight that bridges 3 p.m. to 930 p.m., I'm going to need dinner. What the mm. fuck is going on? Like, that? no, uh, uh, two pieces of Wonder Bread around a slice of Velveeta. That, you didn't serve me dinner. Like, it's, it is so nuts how shitty air travel is. And remember, like, when we were kids, I mean, you're, you're fancier than I am. But, like, it was not weird if many kids in your classroom hadn't been on an airplane. Like, it wasn't. It wasn't just understood that everybody flew around all the time. So that's why when you think back to Pan Am and the glory days, people are wearing a suit and a fedora to get on an airplane. And now when you get on an airplane, it looks like the Port Authority. It looks like you're getting on a trailways. uh, You know, you're going to be sitting next to Ratso Rizzo. A, a fucking sickly person with their shoes <laughs> off, as as you've noted uh, repeatedly, like it's just miserable. And they know they figured it out. They're like, yeah, three percent of our customers switch, and then we get the three percent from Delta. So who cares? Who ca- it's you know. true. I mean, listen, we just assume the youngs assume everything is better than it used to be, and and probably the percentages break in their favor. Um, but yes. Pro football quarterbacks better in the 21st century than the last century. Um, 
and, um, you know, dark chocolate better than it used to be. Um, but air travel and college basketball, much worse than, than they used to be. You're absolutely right. You know, like the, I guess the downside of traveling that was that people used to burn nails on a cigarette well, I, I, on the plane, which, which in hindsight just seems absolutely insane. I was, trying to explain, I was trying to explain to Sophie, like these armrests all equipped with an ashtray. Every armrest on an airplane had a fucking ashtray. You, there was a 92% chance your seat partner would be sucking on a lung dart on a fucking airplane. And by the way, it's been a hundred years since you could do that. And they're still like, hey, no disabling. They still have the no smoking. Like, yeah, yeah right. It, it, we know it's a felony. Uh, you know, you don't have to keep reminding us. Uh, but thank God, right? What, what, the only thing that could make it worse is just being in a, in a six and a half hour cloud of smoke. Marble. Wonder if that's, you know, that you, you got a raw deal if you are not a smoker and you were in the row right behind or right in front of the smoking section. I wonder if you got to, if you got a little taken off your bill by the airline. <laughs> for the, for the second hand. I mean, you're, you're not, you're in non-smoking, but not. Uh, not totally. We get it. So we're going to well, take 20 listen, bucks off the floor. I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I've, we've painted ourselves into this terrible corner in this family where we are, uh, we are an occasionally first class family. Oh, really? So, but all that does is, is Sophie, as we get closer to the jetway, is like, oh, which one is this going to be? And we're like, oh, this is the bad one. And then it's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> this is my experience with Jean-Claude Van Damashek. I had to, I, I really spoken to him when we were going, the first, I think two out of the first three sporting events I took him to, we were in luxury boxes. And I just like the whole way in the car, like, don't get used to this because this ain't keeping up, man. Just get, assume you're going to have to intermingle with, with, the, no, with the regulars. I mean, you know, I mean, in some ways I caught a break that my girls could give a shit about sports um, in terms of me getting to selfishly keep participating in, in viewing and talking about them. But when I took Sophie to Dodger Stadium for her first baseball game, uh, sitting in my lawyer seats, in, in, incredible lawyer, love this guy, uh, he belongs to the Lexus Dugout Club. So first of all, I've got his Lexus Dugout Club tickets the best. I, That's better than any luxury box. If you ever are offered by a pal, even if you're 4,000 miles or if you're in London or Hawaii, get on the supersonic plane or the regular plane and take advantage of it. It is way better than a luxury box. If you sit right behind home plate at Dodger Stadium, Eddie Spaghetti, have you ever gotten to do that? Underneath it, underneath the seats, uh, is this massive food uh, sp uh, spread of food with different stations. There's a wiener station with like three or four different variations on on uh, encased meats, and then there's a Chinese section, and then there's um, then there's a, a dessert cart, of course. All that spaghetti. You ever tried that? No, Dodger Stadium. I've only been to the Spectrum Suite, the box uh, behind home plate, because my girlfriend Jada works for Spectrum. She installs cable, so they invited her, and oh, we went there for a few at. games. So, so you guys are familiar with the the Eddie Murphy, how white people live sketch on Saturday Night Live, the iconic mm -hmm. sketch, obviously, right? So, um, I pull up with my lawyer's tickets, and I I show them to to the woman at, at the the gate. 
And she goes, oh, you're in the Lexus dugout club and you're driving a Lexus. So here's some money. She literally hands us, it was right out of the Eddie Murphy sketch. Like you're white. Hey, here you go. You're in a Lexus. So you don't need 30 extra dollars, but because of the way America works, here you go. Here's 30 Dodger dollars. So she just hands me these $30 worth of coupons that can be used to purchase foam fingers or novelty bats. Like, here you go, a uh, person that definitely doesn't need this. Hey, thanks a lot. Like, and, and then I had never been. So then we get into the cartoonish fucking omelet bar, food court, whatever meal you're in the mood for is free. It's all free, free, free. So Sophie's losing her mind. She's like, God, I had no idea baseball was so fun. I didn't know there were omelet bars. So then, so then we, so Sophie's like, this is great. Cotton candy machine. Great, great, great. Then we get down to our seats. Um, the concierge of the area we're sitting in is a lovely guy named Ezra who used to do warm up stand up comedy on one of my shows. He's like, hey, Hedge. I'm like, oh, hey, Ezra, how's it going? And he goes, hey, uh, would she like to go down on the field? And then I'm like, well, she could give a shit because she's got cotton candy. I would like to go down the field. So it's like, so the batting cages have been moved out. There's no one on the field. It, it's just Hench and Sophie wandering around the batting circle. Just, I've got all these pictures of her alone at Dodger Stadium. And again, she's like, wow, I had no idea going to a baseball game was so fun. I didn't know that you actually, you got to be the cutoff man. You could play, you know, <laughs> I got pictures of her in the dugout. So that, yes, much like uh, uh, flying first class, we, you know, I've destroyed her for that experience too. Um, but I really, I really feel like, cause I'm, you know, I'm an advanced age. I'm, I'm getting up there. Mm -hmm. I really feel like instead of we all fly first class some of the time and we all fly coach some of the time. It really should be dad flies first class all the time. And you guys, you know, kind of like succession, like Logan Roy goes, get your own pie. Yeah. What about, what about your wife though? Does she also get first class? You didn't mention her in either section. She, I guess if she's willing to watch the same movie, I am. We okay. Watch her. She's a, I, I didn't know if maybe it was option C. We're leaving her behind entirely. And then no. I thought like you wouldn't want solo responsibility. That would be, actually, kids, that so. would be a great, that would be a great dilemma for the eight year old. Gigi, you know, I have a good, a solid relationship with her, but she loves her mom like nobody's business. So especially at any kind of semi-stressful times, she's kind of going for the skirt. Like she's moving in mom's direction at all times. That would be a great question. Hey, Gigi, first class, but with dad, or, <laughs> or favorite person in the world in steerage with the Velveeta and Wonder Bread sandwich. Oh, I don't know how. I don't even know what flavors of ice cream they have up here. Probably I know, but you're you're a breezy guy, but that might do enough damage to your vanity that the relationship is never I'd repaired. Rather, if she chooses mom on a cross uh, <laughs> a cross continental flight, <laughs> I'd rather two pieces of cold tortellini than the prime rib. And she's um, crying into his fancy food up in first class because he's lost the affection hey, of his daughter. But speaking of movies, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, on the 15th anniversary um, of Superbad, the 
I think you brought it up and I hadn't seen it, but I think I heard a little like a little like positive thing in your voice. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to watch Belfast on this yes. flight because you sounded very enthusiastic about Belfast. I didn't get it. Sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't like to me. OK, the movie opens with massive, violent, sectarian, religious violence on your cul-de-sac and then you spend 98 minutes debating whether you want to get your kids the fuck out of there. I would like, well, I would I would understand. I'm like uh, yeah, uh, your dad, your, your papa's got a job in England. You can get the fuck out of this this insane religious war that is broken out on your street. You're going to talk about this for 98 minutes. I mean, you're a child. You're a child of the free agency era. So you're you don't mind. And you and I both uprooted the lives we knew to move out to L.A. So it would make sense that we wouldn't necessarily get it as transplants. But uh, but people, the, you know, the old country leaving it behind is a big deal to, I, to I those. Like, I love that. And speaking of old people, it was the relationship between Dench and uh, I can't think of his name. The guy who's great and everything. The, Aaron Hines, really, that's what I loved about Aaron it. Hines is unbelievable. Everyone's unbelievable. But like to your point, I look around South Stratford, Vermont, which is paradise. It's fucking beautiful. But I'm like, I don't think I have dairy farming in me. I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to go try and do something. Mm. There wasn't there wasn't any fucking crazy religious violence on top of that. Like, it's like, yes, <laughs> there's no work in Belfast and you're going to be poor. But the upside is massive religious violence and, and fucking st stupid, stupid religious violence for no fucking reason. You know, so I remember I can't remember the comic, but a comic did a bit about poltergeist and how. You know, once the TV's haunted, the black family just moves out. Like only a white oh, right, family right. would stay for the whole movie, you know, and that's kind of how I felt in Belfast where I was like, oh, this I thought this was a feature length film. I guess it's going to be five minutes long because obviously when the husband gets home from work, the mom's going to already have her bags packed. <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of Belfast. I did. I, I do agree with you. It was like, at some point, these two impossibly beautiful people that are the the mother and father of the picture. I, I, I It does like, hey, lady, all right, we dig that this is all you've ever known and this is where the bit. But also people are trying to kill you. They're actively trying to burn down your your neighborhood. Yes, and they're gonna and, so and they're on. gonna enlist your sons in the militia. Your <laughs> sons are gonna be fucking Irish oath keepers. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Uh yeah. So so and I, I don't know, like Is London like, that bad? I, I hear your noise. I but 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 I just enjoyed the uh the, as I say, I, the, the individual, not the performances, but I, I love the uh, it was the camera, very so. and it was very beautifully shot. Very yeah. nice to look at. I just should not have put the earphones in. I would have enjoyed it more. All right. So let's talk about sports as we are in the midst of Hench is telling us about one of the worst human experiences that happens. One of the most tedious things that we go through in the 21st century. Eddie Spaghetti also wrapping up one of those, namely moving. He's just gone through moving. That's one of the big differences in life. Talk about young versus old. Can you imagine Hench, Eddie Spaghetti also going to see a live performance of his fa one of his favorite bands, My Morning Jacket, at a cemetery tonight, which seems just absolutely creepy to me. Um, 
But moving in your 20s or before that, like, of course, you're getting on the phone to your pals and be like, can you help me? If somebody called me right now and said, hey, can you help me? It's not too big a lift, though. Just the couch, you know, the couch I have. And then that one drag, like, be like, to hell with you. I'm absolutely not going to help you move. Right? I mean, this is a crazy thing. Well, you know, kind of like we were talking last week about our fantasy football league. And I don't know if, like, if we did the uh, oral history of our fantasy football league, if it really is the story of show business or America or sports media, but like, it's insane that the 25 years we've been together and how our lives have unfolded. And so we have guys in that league who are like, uh, I need some help moving. And we have guys in our league who could literally buy the moving company. Uh, You know what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 11 o'clock doesn't work for you? Well, fine then. I'm just going to buy the moving company. Be it my, you know. So, of course, part of the- uh, I bought you a U-Haul. <laughs> the, the communal effort when you're in your 20s, like, you know, I'll buy everybody pizza and beer at the end of the day is, you know, out of necessity. You know, it's like not everybody can can afford it. Uh, and then as, as you get older, you're like, oh yeah, uh, I, I'm not helping anybody. Although I do have friends- I don't know if you, you, you're probably too fancy to have friends like this, but I have friends who who own and drive pickup trucks. And I'm always like, wow, that seems perilous. Once everybody knows you have a truck, mm, you're going to yeah, be on right. the fucking speed dial for jobs. Putting a target right on your back, right? Yeah. Uh, I've, been, so been thinking it's a side. I've been thinking about it. maybe I should get a pickup. What do I need? The, what do I need the roof on the back? Would that, but I feel like people would laugh at me. I'm one of those people that people would say like, you? You have a pickup, you Jew. Why would you have it? I think that well, would be like the, Eddie uh, Spaghetti would Ford say. Ford Lightning. Hey, this this podcast brought to you by the all electric Ford Lightning. Okay, uh, that's the way. Because then, because I think the electric, you know, obviously you're not pickup truck material, but then you say it's all electric. They go, oh well, that makes sense for for a guy like you. That's an indictment of me, and I don't no. and I don't like it. Hey, but I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm self aware. I, I can't. I'm. I'm moving. I can't go full electric because Heather's fully electric, and that just feels dangerous hmm. to just have two fully electric cars yeah. in the driveway when the boogaloo starts. So I'm going. I'm going to go hybrid, so that you, you have a tank of gas sitting out there, but you can plug it in. Where have we reached in life that we're considering es- escape? Uh, transportation for the apocalypse which i think we're all getting closer and closer to hey, embracing as a, as a as a real possibility in the next Where uh, six months to like six it's years like it's fucking abstract <laughs> like it's a fucking abstraction it's like they just put targets on law enforcement and then their al oxa martyrs brigade goes to the cincinnati fbi office and starts shooting like what do you mean what are we it's like this is it's upon us so i'm in hawaii and when in rome I go out to dinner in my Hawaiian shirt, not even thinking, oh, I am I'm in the full boogaloo colors now. I'm going to end up when the <laughs> shooting starts, they're going to grab me. I'm going to be on the wrong side of the bullets. I'm going to I'm going to be with the boogaloos. Uh, and then because I celebrated my birthday in Hawaii. Oh, uh, happy birthday. Uh, my 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 kids got me a 61 years young everybody a a nice baseball hat uh let me i'll just say this sammy hager can't drive my age uh if you're old enough to get that reference then you you're in my boat you 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 won't 
you won't bury me. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. That is true. Jeez, uh, so right. my kids got me this Almost fucking old awesome hat, this awesome baseball cap. They know their dad wears a hat every day. It's a beautiful hat. It says Hawaii on the front. It's fucking red. It's fucking red. And then I can't explain <laughs> to my eight-year-old girl who's so proud of this birthday present. Like, hey, let me tell you about fascism. Let me tell you about treason. Let me tell you. Like, it's like I can't wear this fucking hat. I, can, I just have to wear it around the house. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Ooh, let's squeeze in a quick break here. Let's move on to football. You said movies. That's kind of, we'll get into movies uh, in a second here. Also, uh, Belfast, kind of a, you know, a, a, what do they call that? Um, historical fiction, I guess. Um, real um, documentary on the Detroit Lions airing every Tuesday night presented by uh, the good people of NFL films, hard knocks. I don't, did you see episode two hench? No, I I'm, uh, I'm behind everything as, as well. Oh, okay. I, we didn't have a TV in our Airbnb, which was good. I think that was good. Um, I, I think I would have theoretically the, this, the spirit of it is right, but practically that sounds like a terrible decision. I could never leave my good friend TV behind no matter where I am. Um, well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but my takeaway is I'm surprised Eddie Spaghetti uh, put into the rundown here that uh, Aaron Glenn should be a head coach based on what you saw. You were impressed with it. All I see is it's easy to get swept up in the vacuum of like, boy, they, they got team spirit, these Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell, all the malaprops aside is, you know, like it's all about grit. And Aaron Glenn gives a speech. We got to get back to winning. Never mind the fact that very few people in that locker room experienced much winning. But nevertheless, we have to get back to that. And you guys remember Mark, when you were? In, you guys remember when you were in high school? Remember when you went ten and one? Aaron Glenn literally stands in front of the entire roster and says, "Like, starts calling out two guys, and I don't remember who the one was." But he's like, "You remember back in the 2012 season in college when you won the national championship?" You thought you were going to win every game, right? And he's like, yeah, that's what we need in this locker room. <laughs> it was sad. And then Mark Brunel to me took the cake. He goes up to the three quarterbacks and he goes like, hey, here's all the coaching I'm going to do today, guys. Throw the ball to our guys. Don't throw it to the other team. That's it. I'm done coaching. <laughs> and it's supposed to be cute. It's like, but you're actually the coach. You're supposed to coach them, for Christ's sakes. And yeah, I but, see, yeah. I know that they're not going to do, they're not going to show the diagram of, of their plays that they're going to run in critical spots in, in week seven. But still, there's no indication that anybody is actually a tactician working aboard. They're, they're all just ex-players. I think this is terrible. It's all, it really is pigskin nature versus nurture. Like DeAndre Swift might be great. He is great. Aiden Hutchinson might be great. Uh, Amon Ra St. Brown looks great and so on. But they better be really good, and they better prove that it's all about the players, whether you win or lose, because the coaching leaves something to be desired. What am I missing, Eddie Spaghetti? Who cares about it? It's not a, a I, movie not in a, 1983. You're missing the point. I'm, I totally disagree with a lot of things you're saying. He uh, he picked – well, first of all, Aaron Glenn was a player, and most of the staff were players. Deuce Staley, all those other guys they have there, they all played Kelvin Shepard. 
So I would bet any amount of money that at least one coach, if not more, get gigs down the line because, like, this is the next generation. These are the players when I was a kid. They were playing in the league. Now they're older. They had their, you know, experiences in the coaching staffs. Someone's going to get a head coaching job from this. And you, you want to joke about it, but, like, you know, Aaron Glenn saying all his platitudes or whatever on the screen, Deuce Daly, the same thing. Like, there's definitely teams or execs watching this, even owners going like, oh, that could be our, our face of our franchise soon. That could be our guy that's going to lead lead our, our locker room of 53 guys so I can definitely see that happening but it wasn't even really this episode with Aaron Glenn it was more it was the, the, the last one where he was going head-to-head with Deuce Daly in practice and they were like calling plays basically just like you know one would get the upper hand and the next one and like they knew it was coming so I just felt like he has good control of the defense I mean he seems like an ultra smart guy played you know DB in the league so I, I would think that his Dan Campbell's staff of like all those guys who play in like the late 90s early 2000s that's going to be the next like group of guys who get a lot of coaching gigs I would not be shocked in the next like three to five years I definitely would like it to work out because again spiritually that's where I'd like to be I'd like to be on a team of good guys fun hey this is great time and, um, again, the military platitudes from Dan Campbell, a little bit heavy. Well, a little bit heavy. I go, I, I go, I want this guy in my foxhole. Well, you're not going to be in one with him, coach. You're, you're, you're just going to be on a sideline with him watching pro football millionaires play. So. Um, so I feel like Belichick, you know, whatever you think of him, he's kind of put the lie to the rah-rah. That's, like, that's like, it. That's exactly right. You got this is your job. This is your responsibility on this play. When they come out in this formation, your responsibility shifts to this. Do your job. Learn the learn the playbook. That's all there is. There is like, and then like, you know, putting your fist through the chalkboard at halftime, that means you're you don't know what you're doing. That means you're Mark Brunette. Like, that means you're like, this is all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put my fist through this chalkboard because I have nothing to say to you in terms of an adjustment. So, but rah-rah is good television. So yes. if you're whacking together a TV show, you're going to want Rex Ryan. Let's go get some goddamn snacks. Uh, that's good TV, but good coaching is not good TV. So why would that make it in? Now, I always go back uh, to, to one of my favorite non-Patriot plays in Super Bowl history. Tracy Porter goes, I was coached up that when Reggie Wayne goes in motion like this, this is the play and I fucking jumped the route, and I got a pick six in the Super Bowl, and he's just describing how his coaches prepared him for the moment, and it's like, that's everything. That's that's all there is, is preparing your guys for different looks and to react, and so um, none of that involves yelling. I, I think you're exactly right, and it's a bummer, too, because as I say, of course, I, the Newt Rockney to, to uh, Bob Knight now, all that – is is more fun to watch is that but yeah i just don't think it has any place i don't think kyle shanahan's doing that i don't think andy reed's doing that and it hasn't stopped them from winning games um it's gonna be very interesting i i don't want to be such a scrooge though that i bet that six and a half is weird i to, to spaghetti's point about people watching it i imagine that there are uh, uh, that there's a decent percent of football lovers who look at that and think like i'm all in on these lions now um I don't know. I, I I am, but six and a half is a pretty low number in seventeen games. So maybe they're, big, but it would be owed to, like I say, they have an awesome offensive line that Dan Campbell has nothing to do with. But the O line should be mighty, and DeAndre Swift is a high end talent as long as he's healthy. So they should win some games. I'm going. I've been on the I've been on the fence for weeks now, but I am going to go over on the Lions. 
Um, I've already gone – I already bet on the Jets over six before Zach Wilson went down, although I don't know that that matters necessarily. But let me ask you guys this. You can keep one You can keep one player per position, per position group in my keeper league that Sheck doesn't like to know exists. But he might, be, he might be joining it in about three weeks. Um, so who would you keep? And maybe this is maybe this is settled law. The price is the price is not exactly the same. But I have Elijah Moore and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, both cheap. Hmm. Okay. Spaghetti. What do the nerds say? I think uh, definitely would lean towards Amon Ross St. Brown. St. Brown uh, is because, the right Just just okay. just because of the like Wilson being out potentially one to three weeks, and if you have Flacco in for a few weeks, like I, I know it sounds crazy to think. In a long season, you're like, oh, Zach Wilson misses a couple of games. But in fantasy, a few weeks is a lot. And I could put you down in a hole. And, uh, Hench, actually, you should watch the second episode of Hard Knocks. Because if you do, if you watch the second episode of Hard Knocks, you would say, I'm keeping Amon Ross St. Brown no matter what. Because he seems like the most robotic, laser-focused football player I've seen in quite some time. Oh, I love uh, it. All right. Yeah, but he, he was great in college. He'd be good in the pros. I mean, it's all up to Jared Goff. If Jared Goff has a new Sean McVay 2.0, you know, telegraphing where he has to put the football, then I think. You're, you're all set there um yeah i i'm with spaghetti on that one um here's something that caught my eye hench i go through the schedules every year and you know you get through and by the way cousin sal we were talking about on extra points and he was talking about on against all odds the boys did all the power five conferences college football previews and one of the things that they talked about of course was the pit panthers and we'll know about their win total which is seven and a half. And Sal rightly points out that people mostly will look at that and say, wait, I thought Pitt was back over easy. But they start the season with West Virginia on uh, on a Thursday night. Then they come back with the Tennessee Vols, I think, the following Saturday. So you'll know pretty early on whether or not Pitt is going to, you know, transcend the seven and a half or not. Um, but – that tough way to start the season, relatively speaking, for a college football team. West Virginia's not good, but it's a rival. And then Tennessee comes to town, SEC team. Every year I look at the NFL schedules, and you can just tell that the schedule makers, not maybe intentionally, but really jammed up at least one or two teams, and so you know they ain't going anywhere. I wouldn't say that about a Belichick team, but their opening four games is brutal and I haven't really heard much talk about that they better go down to Miami and win but it's funny they go that so Belichick starts at Miami the franchise that he personally just completely devastated with the Brian Flores oops I thought I was talking to Brian Dable and then that unearthed the Stephen Ross stuff and you know all the rest of that so then they go so they go to Miami then they go to Pittsburgh the Steelers aren't a sure thing to be really good but the defense should be at minimum then they host Baltimore. Then they're at Green Bay. That's brutal, man. That one in three is very plausible. They could even go 0 for 4 there. Under eight and a half. I'm already on it. You know, you, I don't, know. Have to talk, you don't have to talk me into it. It's uh it's it's a bad combination of things. I think one of the things that's gonna hurt them is not having good players. <laughs> Finally, that catches up with them. Didn't hurt them for long stretches in the well, in the last twenty years. Uh, number twelve, I guess, made up for a lot 
uh, a lot of deficiencies. Now, number 12 moved to the Tampa-St. Pete area, as you know, and uh, he attracted, as he, as he has with many other high-end pro football players, he attracted Antonio Brown. Troubled, A.B., goes down there, and all of a sudden things were right as rain until they weren't, and A.B., of course, um, exited there, not as, uh, not as triumphantly as he did the Jets last year in the middle of the – I mean the Bucks in the middle of the game, but um, – the uh, well, that was his exit from. The, I'm sorry, the Bucks. Anyway, um, AB now, as he does once, once uh, not cooler heads prevail. Once he has a chance to meditate on it, he starts to lash out. And this one is interesting. He's going after Tom for taking. We talked about it last week. Taking off two weeks in the middle of training camp, which is weird. But then he goes after his pal from TB12, Alex Guerrero. This is valid. The thing that Brady is a hero because he always gave the Patriots great deals, was always made right on Brady's end by him being allowed by organizations, and the Bucks do this too, to push people through this weird TB12 where I've been told, as I've told you before, where they would they, they, they burn sage over injured knees and such. How say you? You still don't well, care. You, you, well, look, I mean, I know you're, you're on a personal jihad against Tom Brady, I'm uh, not on a jihad. Right. What's done is done. I, I, my, that's inaccurate. In fact, when he left the Patriots, I rooted it because I wanted him to stay because the Steelers never got him, and I don't like it going away. And that's the end of the tale. Tom so Brady, I'm not a guy that's wrong. Tom Brady less safe around you than Salman Rushdie around a fucking crazed jihadist. Like you're <laughs> nuts when it comes to Tom Brady. I will say this though. You know, Brady and Guerrero are are running. It's not Nexium, but it's a multi-level marketing scheme. Like they're basically going, "Hey, let's uh, let's create another income stream for my buddy over here. Wave some sage over over the right tackle's knee. Uh, we won't name him. And then and so what? So what happens is. Yes, you're recouping the money by by basically it's sort of like when you're you work for a company and you're required to make some donations to to the boss's causes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was thinking about I don't know how I got on this subject of weird, weird, uh, kooky, quasi religious stuff. But, you know. In the Nexium documentary, the Dalai Lama makes an appearance. Do you remember? You remember this? The 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 crate. So he this lunatic Keith Ranieri, like he gets the Dalai Lama to bless his multi level marketing scheme, and I got me thinking about how I, I read a book about the Dalai Lama. I read as much as I could, but. So LeBron James, let's say, hardest working man. Lived in Bloomington for a bit, right? Bloomington, Indiana, my alma mater. The, the Dalai Lama? Okay. I'm pretty sure he did for some reason. I don't know why, but anyway. Right. Let's just say LeBron James, hardest working man in the world. Like, obviously, never takes a day off from working out, always in peak physical condition. Even when he's resting, he's in the hyperbaric chamber. He's always getting ready for work. He's making sure he's prepared for work. He just works all the time. Then he also runs this business like he's a a fucking great businessman. He's going to own an NBA team. He's just like the hardest working man in the world, LeBron James. Effort, effort, effort. And then as you you move away from LeBron James, you know, you get to lazier guys like us 
like, you know, it's fair to not have quite as much respect for people who don't work as hard as LeBron. Like, okay, you're kind of lazy. I, I respect you not as much as I respect LeBron. LeBron just works harder than anybody in the world. And this, this straight line continues all the way down through humanity, just through the laziest piece of shits in the world. And the graph is, you know, as should be expected. The lazier you are, the less respect you should have. Until you get to the Dalai Lama, who's the laziest fucking guy on the planet, and all of a sudden the respect meter, you're, so the respect meter shoots up to the roof. Like, wait a minute. I just read a book about this guy. He fucking sits around in his underwear praying. He doesn't do he doesn't do anything. He does nothing. There's no zero work. This guy's not Eddie He should have gotten a TV in his Airbnb in Eddie other Spaghetti words. just came from the from the gym. Eddie Spaghetti's he's you know, he's not packing it in just just cuz he's moved into his new place. Uh, you know, and it's like the Dalai Lama not doing sit-ups, I promise you. And, and I mean, the only good thing about taking on the Dalai Lama is none of his followers are going to come after me. That, that's the one, the, one, the one good thing. But it is weird. Like, like I read that I was reading about his day and it's like he prays for nine hours. Should I just so say that's what so I'm doing? Claims. Should that, can I just say that's what I'm doing on Sundays in the fall? Great. It's my great spiritual. Idea. I'm praying for nine hours. He's a soulful man. Yeah, a spiritual man. Please, that's not your business. That's his right as a, as an American to do. I that. love though. I love that A A B is such a psychopath that he feels entitled to uh, call some people on the carpet. Let's talk it, about behavior. Let's it's talk not. About- I'm not talking about. It's not people. It's Tom Brady who went out of his way to you know on not you know he's bulletproof Tom Brady at this point, but. Um, there's nothing wrong he could do that would turn people against him, I guess. But I mean, Tom Brady would salvaged his career. You know, he has a ring because of Tom Brady. No, I don't think anyone else had the juice in the NFL to pull a B off the scrap heap like that. Yeah. The guy, he was just cuckoo is, uh, the Let bottom line. This. Let me ask you this. Now that Peyton Manning and I have worked together mm-hmm. and may work together again, oh. let's say we become pals. Yeah. Do you think, I could make it right between you two. I'd like you to. I'm a man of peace. I don't, I don't like that conflict. You know, I don't like to be involved in that kind of stuff. And I said a few say things that got a little out of hand. And then you the, said you know, he sucked in the playoffs. Yeah, that's all. Okay. So what? I mean, what? I, he, I mean, he's what, what's crazy about that is, is that he has said it himself that if it's windy out, he it wasn't good because he didn't throw a tight spiral. That's all his pal Dave was pointing out to the world. What was little honesty was was too much for old Pepe to handle. But anyway, that's water under the bridge. Please, Hedge, play peacemaker here. Okay. Let's uh, let's see if we can uh, work out a relationship. Because um, Peyton doesn't like me. If if you missed before, he he uh, cut off an interview when he heard my I was the one doing the interview. He said no, cancel that interview. So. Let's talk about Pro Football 2022 very quickly. I want to get your reaction to these. I, I believe I've mentioned these to Spaghetti, but your reaction, hence, you can throw the red challenge flag if you'd like on any of these predictions. Give it a little further review. I'm talking about the NFC East here. I'm going to blow through it. First of all, borderline hot take because most people have the Cowboys, but I don't think it's crazy to say Philadelphia Eagles win the division. You can get that. You can pick them to win slotted as the first place team at plus 170. 
Um, they're also going over the nine and a half. I have them at 11 and six. And the other bet I like, uh, the player prop is Darius Slay over two and a half interceptions because he should get some more work with James Bradbury on the other side. How do you react to any of those? Well, I, in general, I like the cowboy regression theory. Sure, me too. So the cowboys are coming back to the pack. So let's say you accept that theory. Then you have to look at the three candidates to surpass them. And I think you've chosen the the only true possible candidate to supplant them uh, in in the Eagles. Um, but so I, I don't have any red flags to throw on on those thoughts. I'm a little surprised that your return isn't isn't higher. So that must not be that hot a take. They're 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 closer on the heels of the Cowboys than I expected they would be. Um, in division winning odds. Um, it, it's a, it, I guess uh, the rest of the world is on to it a little bit that the Cowboys regression, as you mentioned. What's weird in general is I look at that division. In the last four years, since the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, the Cowboys have had two double-digit win seasons. Those are the only ones in the entire division. You know, those those everybody remembers when Washington won it two years ago with Alex Smith and Heineke at seven and nine, which was embarrassing. But usually that's a one year blip down and then the, the division bounces back Two double digit wins in four years for for eight seasons of pro football teams. That's embarrassing. The NFC hey, East is well, junk. You, you know, speaking of uh, of Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke and other historic quarterback tandems. So. Right after Spaghetti drops what I thought was really actionable intelligence on us about the new coaching staff, the system, and that Daniel Jones is projected to to attempt the sixth most passes in the NFL, which for fantasy purposes is is good intel for a guy that you can obviously get for a dollar. But I, it wasn't it wasn't 48 hours later that I saw the uh, Tyrod Taylor's going to beat that guy out story. Like it was literally <laughs> like, I was like, I already, had, <laughs> I already talked to somebody about this Daniel Jones theory. I'm like, Hey man, he's a sleeper, sleeper, sleeper. But is, has that gotten do people think, go ahead, spaghetti. You can address this. That's your team. I know you've already well, shot that no. down once. Go ahead. I mean, Hench is a point in like, obviously it, you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't sharing first team reps. Uh, but I think for a guy that doesn't have his option picked up and it could be the last year in giants blue, it does make sense to have Tyra Taylor take some first team reps. Also, just because I said too on, on extra points, that like he is pretty mobile. He was injured last year after taking a hit. So it's like those things could pop up if he does miss a game or two. So you want to get Tyrod Taylor kind of acclimated to playing with Saquon behind him, playing with Galladay and and, and Shep and uh, Wondell Robinson, all those kind of guys, Kadarius Tony. So I, I understand the meaning behind it. But look, if it, I mean, if Jones's position was locked in, set in stone, I don't think we'd be seeing Tyrod Taylor. There. I agree, but. What it comes down to is, and I have no, I you know, I have no idea what Brian Dable is going on in his head and what he wants out of his first year. But if it gets sideways, which it definitely could for the Giants, at what point does he say like this is getting embarrassing? Like you know, we're we're one and nine, or I don't know what you know, we're we're two and six, we're going nowhere. Let's put the vet in and see if he can save us a little face and make the Giants fans get them to get the local media off my back, the team's back, and put a few wins together here before the season ends. Or if it's going that way and you know Dimes ain't the guy, don't you just keep Dimes in there to keep the record, to, to get them as close to the top 
of the state, I mean, uh, to the top of uh, the draft slotting as possible. I mean, I like people always, you know, we talked about it endlessly 12 months ago when the Steelers were in this position, but the Steelers made the playoffs. So I, there is no uh, 2020 hindsight to me like, yeah, see, they should have cut it off with Roethlisberger a year or two earlier. Like, nah, I enjoyed that. I, if they're tracking to not make the playoffs, uh, you know, and you're the head coach, I'm not. I, I don't know if they. He's gonna say like this is embarrassing, and I'm not gonna lose my job after one year. But just the same, I should put the guy in there, and because uh, D- Danny Dimes is a is a train wreck at this point. You're you're guessing that he rides Dimes the whole year, right, Spaghetti? I mean, if they got to a scenario where they're like one, I don't see them being that bad. I don't see them having like, you know, one win out of 10 games. But if they are that bad, I think you are at a point where it's like if you're in the driver's seat to get C.J. Stroud or, or Bryce Young or something like that, and you could beat out the Seahawks or the Texans teams, you know, vying for those guys. I think you do whatever you can to tank, uh, you know, not the the way that, to get an investigation like the Dolphins. But you do you do something <laughs> to ensure that you, you don't win those games because you obviously want to attach your GM and your new coach to, uh, you know, these quarterbacks who are, uh, you know, considered. This is going to be a good class. DJU as well. I believe he's eligible. So there's like a lot of really good quarterbacks people like. All these five-star guys who are finally graduating. So um, Oh, I we got to wait on DJU. That. that is one of the weirdest stories in recent memory in college football that a guy could look that good for Clemson one time and then last year was just a bum for the entire season that's a fascinating storyline going into this college uh, football season. I just like the idea that at one and nine – um, the Giants, someone would have to sit down with, with Tyrod Taylor and say, look, look, <laughs> obviously we wish you were in there. You would give us a better chance to win, but it's it's too risky. We don't want to go 4-13 <laughs> and miss out on Stroud. So you would be, you know, just, just keep your powder dry. We're going to leave this bum out there. And I mean, you know, this is where – Coaches. That's how you. That's how you tank. Whatever Stephen Ross said to Brian Flores is, and how you tank a game. It's just like you, well, you don't play the right guy. So how did it work in San Diego, right? Because Anthony Lynn gets fired, right? Uh, the year Tyrod Taylor gets his lung punctured, right? So Anthony Lynn is watching practice, and he's the guy who's going to get fired if they suck. And he go. He's watching practice every day and goes. I think Tyrod Taylor has a better chance of preserving my job than this fucking rookie shooting, throwing missiles all over. Like, obviously, this guy's way better than this guy. You're a professional football coach. It's invisible to you. You can't see that Justin Herbert, I mean, he didn't save his job, but like, and maybe that, maybe that was the deciding factor. They went, Hey, we've got a coach who can't tell that Justin Herbert's better than Tyrod Taylor. You gotta fire that guy. Uh, right. You should talk about hey Tyrod, you're out uh 30 seconds before the game. Hey, Anthony Lynn, you too, man. Sorry, you, you, you didn't know. Yeah, by halftime at least. Like, yeah, no, you, you, you were know, gonna start him over this guy? After Did you see? Three throws. So anyway, uh so yeah, I don't think that the Giants uh will be the the team that rakes in the, the Cowboys, but I like that Eagles bet. Okay, I got that. So I got the Giants at 7 and 10. I've got Danny Dimes on the assumption that he does get the vast majority of of um, of the snaps this season. I'm going to stick with him at 21 and a half touchdown passes over that and I've said it before, I'll say it again. Saquon, a number of reasons, improved offensive line, improved scheme, 
better luck than he's had in three straight years now. This leads me to say he goes over 900 and a half rush yards. And if you really think that the Giants are clearly the worst team in the NF in the uh, NFC East, you can lock that in at plus 120 to to see them finish fourth place. Spaghetti, I know you don't like that one. You think the Commies are the worst team in the in the I, division? I think they are. I don't see the Giants being uh, the fourth place team. I think somewhere in the seven to nine win range is probably correct for them. I just don't see how Washington is going to be better than them. And with the Eagles thing, like again, I just would not feel confident about saying they're the best team with Jalen Hurts quarterback. I, I, I know that in fantasy, especially because of his rush yards, but I don't think he's done anything to prove that he is good. And all we've seen is kind of this stuff like trying to make us believe he's good. Nick Sirianni wearing Jalen Hurts shirts and making AJ Brown tweet that he's good after like beat reporters said that he was terrible and then like early uh, OTAs and stuff. Like I'm not gonna buy it until he has a full 17 game season of where he's good. So I'm sorry, sorry Eagles fans. I don't I don't buy it. Well, I you know obviously I like uh, the Eagles roster. I think it's uh, it's about as airtight as it gets in the NFC with the lone exception possibly being the most important position like you say and then the other important position is head coach and I don't know about Nick Sariani either but I do like the way the roster is put together um uh, line of scrimmage specifically both sides so much depth on both sides I mean it, it's weird in the age of free agency to see both the uh, sides of the line of scrimmage that deep on an NFL team Philly wins the division plus 170 um I told you that one Cowboys I have Micah Parsons defensive player of the year plus a thousand I'm surprised that there are three names ahead of his in uh in the odds department there Dallas to finish second if you like that plus 200 and I like Zeke to get um a lot of time because the the bookmakers have him at 850.5 rush yards I mean he's never I don't think I, I have to check this I think he's never gone that low in his career and I get the wear and tear of all the collisions and everything, but that seems overly pessimistic to me. I feel like, you know, it's funny, the two numbers you've thrown out for Saquon and Zeke, I feel like the bookmakers have been listening to us for the last year because we're like, you want free money. Bet all the unders. And they're like, we got to move these unders down. Man. This is this is crazy. We've got to build in missing three games, which is don't what- pass Sal Iacano. That was a, this is his greatest gift to society is bet all the season unders on all the big skill position guys. He's probably right, but I can't help it. I I, I have an optimistic bent to me. Sam Howell. Now the answer is. Carson Wentz, how excited could you be if you're a, a Washington Commies fan right now when you see Carson Wentz? Sam Howell is the truth, I say. I don't know when he's going to get in there, though. If they do, I mean, it's so much fun. Plus, uh, 7,500 is Offensive Rookie in the Year. If he goes in there and sparks them and, uh, you know, and they win a few games after Carson Wentz has a couple of bum performances, he would, uh, it would seem like he would line up in that direction. Spaghetti will take the under this. I like the commies over eight and a half wins. You get that at plus one. 45 right now so those are my nfc's predictions anything else stand out there hench that you want to throw in i i just think the commies are gonna suck i hmm. i mean I, I mean mostly that's karmic hope probably but uh i i'm you know i i think i mean you're probably right about sam howell getting an opportunity but that's gonna mean they're one in five i would like to think that we've seen that that uh had uh, that a coaching staff not like it was last year that was uh, the Colts were like they they did a lot to get Carson Wentz there we have found our our future 
in Carson Wentz. They they lined up. I keep saying the word spiritually, but literally they, you know, uh, Reich and Ballard. And, you know, this is a better this will be a more comfortable space for Carson. We all uh, our faith aligns and all that kind of stuff. And we'll get his head right. The fact that they pulled the bandaid off after a year. It's not that this is his last. I don't think it's even going to be a lot of rope for Carson. If he stinks, um, I think they'll yank him after a couple of few weeks. I mean, the Heineke is also an option for them to throw in. I don't know that he makes the, the final roster. I assume he does. Um, I, 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 they, they are right, solid. Right, where else, where else? Enough time in this shitty division. What else right. you got? Okay. That's what you want to just move on to movies. You want to talk about something else? Here? Oh, I didn't know if you were just going to go division by division. I don't know. Oh no, I'm not going. No, no, no. Okay. Do all eight divisions in one day. I Come don't know. On, I don't know. Do I just something. follow your lead, which You're is, right. is just an endless trip down dead ends, but I follow you anyway. <laughs> what did I do to deserve that? That was a mean spirited, uh, uh, dig at me. All right, listen. And by the way, you already said it. I might be three weeks or, or fewer away from getting kicked out of the fantasy league. I have enough coming in my direction without you being mean to me on top of it. By the way, uh, go listen to the earlier uh, minus three from this week. We had Mark Caballi from The Athletic on all things AFC North, specifically what to do about the three-headed monster quarterback that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers have, who he thinks is going to win that division, who's going to be the worst, all the rest of it. Um, How, hey, you, you've, never, you've never voted ham out, right? What's that? Say that again. You voted. Have you voted Ham out? No, no, never. I didn't think so. All right. Well, I mean, you win the league every other year. I didn't know if you've gotten everybody. But so um, you're probably safe. Right. He's got he's got no problem with you. I mean, he could go Simmons. Simmons is eligible to get his head chopped off. Cousin Sal could get kicked out. That's a possibility. Really? All, everybody's head is on the chopping block. Simmons must Kevin be Hedges. like minus 700 though, right? I mean, I, it just seems like, you know, whale, it's got to be whale on whale violence. What's, what's, what's Don Draper going to do? Vote out Brad? I mean, you know, come on. It's, you know, you can, you really, you got to go after the, the, the guy in your weight class. Well, keep in mind what Ham is going to do is what he thinks and what his consigliere tall John, uh, another uh, member of the league, what they deem funniest. Tall John is in Ham's ear. I can't read what they think is going to be the funniest. Okay. For how, how great would this be? Me? How, is it funny if I get kicked out? No, I don't no. think so. How great, how great would this be? And it's, you know, it's probably too much prep and, uh, Weiner would have to get involved, but if he did it in fucking full Draper character, so he comes in fucking in the clothes, the hair, full Draper, and he does like one of his 11th hour presentations where he saves the day, where he comes up, he convinces the client, you know, but he does it, he does it all like that, but all you know, take, taking us through our paces, you know, you know, lifting us up, telling a story about when he was a little boy eating his Hershey's candy bar, and then he fucking kicks somebody out. You're Mohawk Airlines. You're gone. Or he makes a, the two people, two finalists, and they both have to do the the uh, Zuby Zuby Do song, and whoever oh, yeah. does it better gets to stay. I don't oh, know. That'd be excellent. Or um, you know, or. Everybody has to drink until somebody goes Freddie Rumson in their pants. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like the English uh, ad exec. Uh, my, my demise is the same as his. 
That guy, by the way, I, I love the movie redu actor redundancies when an actor does the same thing in, in more than one movie. That guy hangs himself in two movies. Or well, he hangs himself in Mad Men and I think in Chernobyl. I think is the other one he hangs himself in. That's uh, that's a weird thing to be known for as an actor. Hangs himself it's, good. Hey, it's on his reel. We need someone who can convincingly. He's, gonna, um, all right. he's, gonna, he's a shoe in for the David Carradine biopic. Before we wrap it up, two movie related things. Spaghetti One, got it. Spaghetti got it. Uh, here we go. Two things. One is super bad 15 year anniversary. Very funny movie. A lot of people, though, same as when you're watching a football game. The analyst too casually says like, hey, that young man right there, it's a, he's as good as it gets in this uh, business at that position. And it's like, but it, you, you said the same thing last week about the other guy, and then you're going to say it again next week about a, uh, a third guy. Same thing. Super best comedy of the century, right? Well, people say that about The Hangover and uh, Old School and otherwise. You're a comedy writer after all, Hench. Let's go to you. Best comedies of the century, give me your one, two, three. Win, police, okay. show. So, so I, when I saw The Hangover in the theater, like I laughed so hard. I just was crying. Hmm. Monster set pieces upon monster set pieces. Like now, if you, if you had to release this movie today, but it had to be redacted like an FBI affidavit, like you had to take out all the stuff you're not allowed to do anymore, it would be a three-minute movie. It, it, Zach Galifianakis is mock jerking off a baby at breakfast. Like it is, it is fucking insane uh, what they do in that movie. And and that was not just my favorite comedy of that year. I think it was two thousand nine. That was my favorite movie of that year. Now, obviously, wow. they they overdid it. They ruined it. And then by making you know a mediocre sequel and a terrible sequel you take the shine off that fucking glory of what that first movie was. By the way, Ken Jeong is basically like doing like an Asian step and fetch it. Like he's just fucking like, it's like this crazy caricature, but it, it all works. Obviously it was incredible and you can't do any of that. Anymore. That's your number one. I can't believe no, it. I'm I, well, stunned. I think okay. Galifianakis is hysterical in it. And the the um, over the credit, uh, the still shots that they got on camera that they didn't remember. I think those are the two funniest things in that movie. Eddie, Ed Helms, funny Ed Helms uh, what do tigers dream of? When they take a little tiger snooze. I mean, I, that movie's fucking great, obviously. It, it, it's been it's been besmirched by its own sequels. But the year before that, I loved Tropic Thunder so much. I couldn't I could not believe how much I love that movie. And again, favorite movie of the year, not just comedies. You look at it now, you're like, what the fuck? Robert Downey's in blackface. Like what? I like you're like, you can't. I mean, obviously, you know, Stiller goes full retard. There's just, it's, it's just a fucking Farrago of stuff you definitely can't do anymore, which now gets us to this kind of this weird point of like, what is comedy? What can you say? You know, words are harmful. Um, and, but a more recent comedy that I think, well, probably could get canceled for other reasons. I don't know. Cause they, they handled the, the, um, the sexuality of the characters, but I loved book smart so much. Obviously, I'm biased because Caitlin Deaver was was, you know, 13 in the first season of Last Man Standing. She's so funny. She's incredible in that movie. 
Um, so that's a movie that I think you're still allowed to recommend. I think, I mean, that might change at any moment in the next 15 minutes, but so, so that's like my movie for, uh, to, to like, say like, I'm not a terrible person, but if we're admitting that we're terrible people, Hangover and Tropic Thunder, oh my God, I just laughed so fucking relentlessly at those movies and both those movies, incredible narrative pace. Like you are on a fucking thrill ride in those movies. Uh, so, so what do you got? I go, no, my favorite of them all. Real fast, funniest movie. Adam uh, McKay, Adam McKay to me is the comedy wizard of the millennium. There are different camps that uh, people fall into. Um, I will go with McKay's pictures in general. Talladega Nights, funniest movie of the millennium. I've, I've, gone back and forth with it. I love Anchorman. Um, Tal- Talladega Nights for just the, the hardest belly laughs. It uh, That's my choice. Number two, came out in the year 2000, best in show. So oh. it counts, uh, it counts okay. here. And then um, at I want to go with Borat because sitting in the theater, how hard I was laughing, but I've come across it a couple of times recently. It I don't, I'm not sure exactly why. I think it's because so many of the laughs were, I mean, most comedy is inappropriate and surprising you, but it was so shocking, the things that would happen um, in that movie, the running of the Jew from that from that point forward. It, it's just insane what happens in the picture. Once you know the surprise, it's not as funny, but it, it still holds up. Um, Office Space also, I'm not sure if that was, I, I, don't, I think that might have been right at the very end of uh, the last century. Um, Step Brothers, very funny. Uh, Bridesmaids, great. Um, great script is Mean Girls. Those are the ones I have uh, written down there. Uh, when he brings the when he brings the bag of shit back to the table and asks what he's supposed to do with his shit in Borat, <laughs> I mean, there's so many. There's so many moments. <laughs> and then when he naked wrestles with the Ken, nudity is just insane. You can't. You're like you can't. You're convulsing. You're like I, this is so juvenile. Why am I laughing so hard? There, oh, I'm still laughing. I'm crying. Uh, now, listen. <laughs> that is the hardest I've ever laughed in a movie. That's um, for real. You know, Spaghetti just pointed out in the chat that Office Space was 1999. Now, look, uh, buddy, poop. I don't want to go full Jeopardy nerd on you, but the 20th century ends December 31st, 2000. Right. So, uh, I, so I lose, you're so gonna I lose my, one my of my choices. You're going to have to scrub best in show, but. I will say this to the, to the Adam McKay of it all, the other guys. The other guys is fantastic. It is, I, I mean, you, you're, you're right to invoke his genius. Um, the, the scene where the cops are supposed to be dealing with the trauma of discharging their weapons, and they just all couldn't be prouder and more delighted. I mean, there's so <laughs> much commentary in that movie. And then the fucking runner of Michael Keaton just just doing uh, TLC, uh, we don't want no scrubs, uh, don't go chasing waterfalls. It's incredible. <laughs> like anyway, I, so I definitely uh, uh, need to have some McKay on my list too. All right. Here's one last thing. And by the way, an NBA um, wonk too among his, uh, his other talents. Yeah. Um, last thing is it's De Niro's birthday today as we record here. And I've asked this question before. I ask it to you now off the top of your head. More good movies than anyone in the history of movies, Hench. 
I mean, I'm not talking about like decent movies. I'm talking about gems. He was in Goodfellas, Godfather Part Two, Midnight Run, Heat, King of Comedy, Casino, Untouchables, Deer Hunter, Taxi Driver, Bang the Drum Slowly, Mean Streets, Silver Lining Playbooks. I don't, Silver Linings Playbook, I wouldn't count as an all time great, but a really good picture. Cape Fear. A eh, little pretentious, but still pretty good. I can't think. I, I I went and looked up Harrison Ford. He doesn't come close. Although, if you give him credit for all three Indiana Joneses and all three Star Wars movies, and then plus he was in the sequels of this century, but I don't. So he doesn't come close. You know, who might be the best. You mentioned him a minute ago, or you name, mentioned Tropic Thunder. Tom Cruise. Consider this. Risky Business, All the Right Moves is a favorite of mine. Top Gun, Color of Money, Rain Man, Few Good Men, Jerry Maguire, Magnolia, Collateral, Tropic Thunder, Mission Impossible 3 is really good. Um, That's not the highest batting average. The highest batting average in movie-making history for an actor is John Cazale. He was in Godfather, Godfather 2, The Conversation, Deer Hunter, uh, and Dog Day Afternoon. And then that's it. Then he dies. Like, he's 100%. He he, he bats 1,000. You know who uh, John Cazale is? Is uh, Tom Pachorek was a journeyman baseball player. You know, had played qu- quite a few seasons, and then he was the announcer for the Braves forever, right? Analyst. I believe it's his brother, John Pachorek. Four at bats in the major leagues, three for three with a walk. Is that right? Yeah, that's his. That's his career. That's John Cazale. Like. Uh, hey, I don't know what to tell you. Everything I did got nominated for an Oscar. So he's got the short, sweet, nobody ever got him out. To the De Niro of it, you just read the, through down the, the IMDb. I don't know who his agent was or who read the scripts and said, you should consider this. But that guy obviously died. Because now, in the last 10 years, <laughs> it's been a whole lot of the intern. It's been a lot of the intern and and grandpa and just garbage. So much garbage that like fucking Cruz is gaining on him. Like, you know, you you had a batting average. Now you're Willie Mays flopping around center field for the Mets. Like, oh, man, you need someone to read these scripts before you say yes. Look at your batting average. You never did a piece of shit for decades. Now it's only pieces of shit. So it's a very much like it mirrors Wayne Gretzky's career. Ooh. Yeah, if you, as long as you just focus on the early prime, you're in good shape. But the second half, ooh, not as good. What do we come good up point. with? Minus minus forty six, minus sixty three for the last ten years of his career. I don't know. It was damning, and it makes clear who is uh, who is actually the greatest player of all time in the league. And his name ain't Wayne Gretzky. All right, we could go. Hey, listen, listen. We we've gone too long already, but I feel okay. like we we we've have to do our branded segment. I was going to say, I was going to do, if you want to cut it off, we can. No, I know you like to, to talk some live tour. All right, these fucking, here we go. These fucking pieces of shit. All right. So here's the latest. A Saudi student at Leeds University who had returned home to the kingdom for a holiday was sentenced to 34 years in prison for having a Twitter account and for following and retweeting dissidents and activists. So 34 years in Saudi Arabia prison for free speech. Okay, now I don't know. Look, I'm not. Am I going to accuse Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka of handing the nuclear secrets to to Mohammed Bon Salman? I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. But you guys are such fucking pieces of shit. I, I it, yes, people go well. Well, look, Joe Joe Biden's fist bumping the monster, and yes. 
Fucking governments have in crazy geopolitical entanglements. Rich millionaire golfers do not have those problems. Therefore, they don't have to make these fucking immoral decisions. They don't have to have any moral ambiguity. You're super rich. You will be super rich for the rest of your life. You don't have to get in bed with a fucking monster who sends college girls to jail for 34 years because of who they follow on Twitter. That's who you're fucking in bed with, Greg Norman. That's that's your guy. And it's like, I, I just fucking hope Somebody can slap some sense in he says, I would like a fight. I would like a fucking fist fight in the locker room. I mean, not that any of the guys on the PGA understand it necessarily either, but it's like you're either on the side of the 9-11 families or you're on the other side. And that's where these fucking selfish cocksuckers are. And I'm glad you give me this platform every week. We'll do it forever. Two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, just to remind everyone what a fucking piece of shit the scumbag is and what a piece of shit these fucking scumbags are for sports washing his reputation. Thank you, Sheck. All right. I just want to say, you know, I've said it before. Easy to get up on Mount Pius. A lot of people make that journey up there. They they rent space. They get an Airbnb. Some people are homeowners up there. It's where all the halls of fame belong, the existing ones at least. Um, but, you know... Chaz Barkley gets upset about it. How dare you tell me? Many other voices out there defending the right to make money. Never mind the grotesquerie that they're ultimately defending. I hear you completely on all that and, and agree. But the other part is that, I, you know, we were talking about six, eight weeks ago, and it seems like more and more it's coming out. And I think that's the angle that the PGA and Tiger having meetings with the play. What are these guys playing for? This thing about like Greg Norman, like I just love spreading the game of golf. What the hell does that mean? How is this more effectively spreading the game of golf? It's such pap. It's such obvious uh, hooey and applesauce. It, it, it holds no water. But at some point, I get, you know, you begrudge football players for like, you're going to leave that team. They might win the Super Bowl, though. They're really good. And you're going to take the money with Jacksonville. Yeah, we would. We almost all would do that. But at some point. It is bizarre that you're a professional golfer and you jester on exhibition. It just really, the competition matters so little to you that you don't care because it, it does seem to me, I don't know the legality of, of, of where it winds up and what, how the courts are, but if the Masters just says you're not playing in our tournaments, you're, you're not eligible to win the green jacket and U.S. Open, you're not, you're not playing in this because you're in the live tour. I can't imagine that that doesn't appeal to competitors. I know all the people like to laugh, like, ah, golf's not a sport, is it? If it's a sport and you're a competitor by definition, it just is so strange to me that two years, five years from now, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, but the Live Tour pays better. Like, yeah, but you're not playing for anything. You're just doing exhibitions. I don't get the angle on that and how you sell that. And I guess the bottom line is it's a moot point because – they can just keep that that money ain't going away. So it doesn't make a difference if they look at it at the end of the week and be like four total people watched this this tournament. Four people showed up and then one person watched on their laptop at home. It's like that eh, doesn't make a difference. We that that doesn't impact our bottom line. We are so steeped in in uh, zillions of dollars of oil that we can keep making these payments for generations on end. That to me is who would watch this? I don't know. I. On some level, I almost get it more from the players than anybody who, as a golf fan, is like, I can't wait to see Dustin Johnson this week. Do what? Play around the golf? Like, it's not for anything. It doesn't matter what he shoots. What do you care? 
no history, no, no, you know, it, it, no double eagles, no, 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 uh, Julius Boros, Gene Sarazen, like it's, yeah, uh, who cares? Um, if Greg Norman wants to spread the game of golf, he should take some of his wine money and take a hundred sets of golf clubs into a poor village and carve a par three into the fucking side of the mountain. Like what? There are ways to spread golf. This is literally not spreading. So golf. True. This is so not true. spreading golf. No one is going to start playing golf because um, uh, you guys have partnered with a fucking evil dictator. That this is that is the dumbest argument. But go on fucking Fox News. Explain Greg Norman. Explain your complete lack of morality to the world. Um, yeah, obviously, I, I, I there the, for the for the reasons you give, it's 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 bad if you care about competition, and then obviously for for the moral sure. part. But I would also say about Chuck, and I like Barkley, but Barkley just gave a fucking really impassioned defense of the LGBT community, and then he goes, "Hey, fuck you! Don't criticize me for taking money from people who behead gays." Like, wait, wait a minute! What do you just? You just stood up and got all the fucking rah-rah retweets from the gay community. And then you're like, hey, go give me some blood money from the people who, who kill gay people. Like, what? I, I don't know. The cognitive fucking disconnect for, for these people who, again, already fucking rich. That's the point. It's, it's one thing to talk about crudite to people who don't get it. But if you already have the crudite, you have you have 15 crudites ready to go. What do you need more crudite for? That, that I think, is a disconnect between people at Ch- Chaz Barkley's level, what he has in the bank versus normal people. It just doesn't resonate. Like, I don't know who you're trying to sell this to, Greg Norman. Like, we, we, we as though we're all morons, too, that we can't see exactly what you're talking about. There are better ways to spend your money if you're looking to to spread the good word of, uh, of what the if, great uh, yeah. What if Dr. Oz runs for Senate in every state where one of his 11 houses is located? <laughs> There's got to be one place that'll have him. And then he just ends up in New Jersey. Uh, we could I, I we could launch uh, another hour of conversation with that, but I say let's cut it off here and instead turn everybody towards waiver wired. Track down another great episode as your fantasy drafts get ever closer. Jen Piacente and Eddie Spaghetti, who you heard yapping on this show here and all the other great shows on the Extra Points Network. Go to extrapoints.com to check them all out. The merch and beyond. We'll be back after the sports weekend. We'll be that much closer to kick off of football that much closer to playoff baseball we'll try to make sense of all it for you until then for kevin Hench, eddie spaghetti and everybody at the extra points network thanks so much sports fans it's been a thin slice of heaven